0: J. Michael Edwards in the Majestic Academy, where we are coming ever so closer to finishing the study of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. To our faithful students, we hope this series is clearing up some of the confusion regarding the end times. Truly, we are living in the end times. It's an exciting time to be alive! Today, Pastor Don teaches a lesson entitled, The Final Judgment Commences. So, grab your Bible and notepad with your number two pencil, and let's settle into our seats.
1: Thanks again, J. Michael. <clears throat> Maybe I'll just call him J. Mikey. How's that sound? Jay Mikey. <laughs> I know J. Michael, and he doesn't really care for that. Mikey, I think our sister is about the only one that calls him that. For those that don't know, J. Michael Edwards is my brother, uh, and I thank him for hanging with me for all these episodes. We're on episode thirty-nine right now, and he's uh, he's been there the whole time. So, so a special thanks to uh, J. Michael Edwards. And uh, <clears throat> wow, final judgment commences. Uh, this is uh, this is getting serious now. Uh, I'll tell you these these are real events coming up and these are events you will go through if you are not born again the rapture is the next great event on the calendar On uh, the eschatological x i can't say that word eschatology eschatological uh <laughs> on, on the end times calendar the rapture we learned about that uh way back um and uh once that rapture happens, I, I mentioned last uh, last session that uh, the door will be closed. Uh, those of us who are born again will be will be taken away. Um, that word rapture just means catching away, and we'll be gone. And the Holy Spirit will be gone, and Satan will have free reign. Right now, the Holy Spirit is restricting him. As crazy as things are, he's being severely restricted for what he can do. But once the Holy Spirit and the church is gone. Wow, there'll be no holding him back. So let me get into the lesson here. Uh, It's a a little longer lesson. Uh, uh, Not that long, I guess. But um, let's look at Revelation 16, verses 1 through 9. It says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, and was, and shall be, because Thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are their judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Lord, I pray for those again who have not saved, that they would get saved and avoid these terrible times. Help me, Father. Please keep my voice strong. Uh, Lord, help me to to just uh, uh, expound upon these words that you've given. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know, there's no denying the fact that the book of the Revelation is a book of judgment. It was written to people in the first century who were smitten under the angry whip of the Roman persecution. It was given to them to let them know that God has a plan for the judgment of all those who have rejected him. While there are passages that allow for rejoicing in the chapters of this book, it is, for the most part, a chronicle of God's final judgment of sin, of sinners, and Satan. In Revelation, there is a series of three judgments which are executed in seven stages each. There are the seven seal judgments, and the seven trumpet judgments, and finally the seven bowl judgments. As the judgments progress, the intensity and severity of the judgments increase. We have arrived at the final set of judgments. In Revelation fifteen seven, we see one of the four beasts given to the seven angels, seven bowls full of the wrath of God. Just as a reminder, the word full means to swell. It is the image of a dam under pressure nearing its bursting point. That's a good description of the wrath of God. Ever since Adam sinned in Eden, the wrath of God against sin and sinners has been building. The grace and mercy of God have served as a powerful dam which has held that wrath in check. In the judgments of the revelation, the dam of God's wrath bursts and a Christ-rejecting world is swept away in the wave of judgment that issues forth. Up to this point, God has always tempered his wrath. God has been faithful to honor the request of the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3, verse 2, the prophet said, In wrath, remember mercy. But now the time for judgment has come. There will be no mercy any longer. The wrath of God is about to be poured out. God is preparing to commence his final judgment on earth. In Revelation 14, verse 10, John writes, "...the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation." In these verses, the world is about to experience the undiluted wrath of an offended God. In verse 1, God issues the command for the angels to begin pouring out the bowls that are filled with His wrath upon the earth. This message and the next will consider the seven bowl judgments in detail. Let's examine these verses together as we look at final judgment commences. So we see in verse 2, we see the plagues in the sinner. When the first bowl is poured out, all those who have worshiped the beast and who have received the mark are afflicted with sores in the body. The word sore literally means an ulcer. It has the idea of an open, running, ulcerated place on the skin. It probably refers to an oozing boil. I've never had an oozing boil, but I've known some folks that have, and it's quite, quite painful. These sores are called noisome, noisome, n-o-i-s, noisome. This word means of a bad nature, or troublesome, or injurious. They're also described as grievous. This word refers to anything that is annoying, painful, or bad. These two words reveal that these sores will be extremely painful, they'll be festering, and they'll be incurable. No doubt, the greatest medical minds of the age will do their best to find the cure, but they will fail. There will be no cream, no bandages, no drugs that will bring relief to the people suffering from these boils. A sore on the outside is a sign of rottenness on the inside. God is clearly revealing the condition of these lost sinners. He is putting on display the corruption of their hearts through the corruption in their bodies. These people have rejected God and His Christ, and they must face Him in judgment. These festering ulcers bring to mind the ancient plagues in Egypt. The sixth of those plagues is found in Exodus 9, verses 18-12, Ah, that was good. Exodus 9, 8 through 12. In that plague, the people of Egypt suffered from incurable, painful boils all over their bodies. This seems to be the same kind of physical problem Job experienced in Job 2, verse 7. Just as it was in ancient Egypt, these boils only afflict the enemies of God. Those who are trusting the Lord are spared this judgment. And then in verse three, we see the plagues in the sea, when the second bowl, ju- when the second bowl is poured out, the waters of the earth and ocean, the, wow, <laughs> the waters of earth's oceans are corrupted and become like a putrid, fetid blood of a corpse. Back in Revelation eight, verses eight through nine, when the second trumpet judgment was administered, one third of the ocean was affected. Here. The cataclysm is worldwide. When this plague is poured out, every creature in the sea will die. The seas will become vast cemeteries. Beaches will no longer attract the sun worshippers and the pleasure seekers. The beaches will reek with a stench of death. Instead of being thronged with crowds of sunbathers, the world's beaches will be choked with the rotten carcasses of billions, literally billions of dead sea creatures. Imagine, Imagine the impact this will have on the environment. Most of the rainwater the Earth receives comes from moisture that evaporates from the oceans of the world. No more evaporation means greatly diminished rainfall on the Earth. This will cause a drought of worldwide proportions. Consider the fact that this world is largely dependent on the oceans for its food supplies. Billions, maybe trillions, I'm not sure that many is left, Billions of people receive their abundance of food supply through the ocean. Without this scarce, I'm sorry, without this source of food, millions will face starvation. Not only will food supply be drastically affected, but so will commerce and shipping. The socio-economic impact of this plague will devastate the earth. One by one, God is tearing down all the things that men take for granted. First, their health is destroyed. Then the oceans are destroyed. The coastal regions of every nation of the world will become abandoned wastelands as the oceans are transformed into vast seas of death. I always I always think of the environmentalists. Wow, would well, they be going crazy? Anyway, moving on. Uh, we see the, the plagues in the streams in verses four through seven. When the third bowl is poured out, the fresh water sources of this world are stricken. Again, we saw this in miniature back in Revelation 8 verses 10-11 when one-third of the world's fresh water suppliers are poisoned with a comet, or a meteor, or some other heavenly body when it's fell to them. But here, they're turned to blood. By the time this plague is poured out on the earth, the world has become absolutely bloodthirsty. Millions of martyrs Have been slain by the Antichrist and his forces. Millions of saints have had their blood shed by the enemies of God. He honors their desire for blood by giving them blood to drink. When Jesus was here, his first miracle was to turn water into wine. That miracle was designed to draw men to him. Here he turns the water into blood to remind men of him. One by one, the Lord is removing every prop, every comfort, everything mankind leans on for support and takes for granted. He's destroying them all. Then we see this plague reminds us of the first of ten plagues in Egypt in Exodus 7. We see the fresh water in the land of Egypt was turned to blood and men searched vain in vain for water to quench that thirst. In this judgment, every source of fresh water in the world is turned to blood, whether it is spring or a well, or a municipal water system, the world's fresh water supply will be taken away. Now our bodies can survive several weeks without food, but only about three days without water. Imagine a world with no water. A faucet is turned on, instead of cool, clean, thirst-quenching water, out comes a putrid, foul, deadly blood. No doubt, death from disease and thirst will skyrocket during these horrible and evil days. Now, when this plague comes, the angels praise God for His wisdom in sending this judgment. The world is merely reaping what it has sown. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter six, verse seven to nine: "Be not deceived; God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit." shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The world has been guilty of murdering God's people and God's preachers, and they are given blood to drink in return. Another angel declares the righteous nature of God's judgment. Our human minds cannot comprehend the judgment in these verses. We We kind of, we kind of draw back from them and think how horrible they are. We kind of recoil when we think about people having to suffer like people will suffer during the tribulation. We might even feel that there must be a better way. One day, when we are home in glory, our minds have been transformed and glorified. We will see things from God's perspective. Then we will understand just how hateful and horrible sin truly is. We will feel as God feels, we will think as He thinks, and we will understand. In fact, I am 100% sure that we will voice our own amens as He judges the world that has denied Him and defiled His creation. We will understand that the time for judgment has come. We will know that the only thing that has held judgment off for this long has been the pure grace, the marvelous grace, the wonderful grace of God, the amazing grace of God. When judgment comes, we can rest assured that God will judge the right individuals in the right amount in the right way. He can do nothing but the right thing. In Genesis 18.25 it says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And then in verses 8 and 9, we see the plagues in the sun. The fourth plague touches the sun. Its heat is allowed to burn the bodies of men. The word scorch means to be burned with heat, to be tortured with intense heat. By some means, God will allow the heat of the sun to be intensified, and the bodies of men will be burned. Now, the universe is an amazing place. God created everything and placed it exactly where it needed to be. The sun is some 93 million miles from the earth. It sits at exactly the precise distance to allow life to exist on this planet. If the sun were any closer, we'd all burn up. If the sun were any farther away, we all would freeze to death. God placed it exactly where it needs to be. The sun is a giant nuclear reactor. It's so large that, listen to this now, 1.3 million of our Earths could fit inside of it. It's really hot too. The surface of the sun is nearly 10,000 degrees. If that heat were to hit the earth full force, the planet would burn up instantly. Surrounding the earth is a band of radiation called the magnetosphere, the magnetosphere. This radiation band filters out the rays of the sun, allowing exactly the right amount of heat and light to enter our atmosphere. Well, During this plague, God will either turn up the heat of the sun or allow more of his heat to enter the earth's atmosphere. As a result, men will experience intense burns in the body. You know, the pain of a sunburn is an intense nagging pain. Cookie and I, back when we were in New York, back in 1968, we went out to Coney Island, and man, we just got burned, whew, we got burned. Did that hurt? Anybody just touches that, and it, and it like drops you to your knee. Some guy walks behind you and slaps you in the back. Wow, but imagine now having that pain intensified many times over. Imagine the agony that will result from this plague. Another of mankind's crutches is kicked out from under the sun. Since the dawn of time, the sun has risen every morning and sat every evening. It has yielded life-giving, dependable heat and light for thousands of thousands of years. One day, mankind will awaken to a sun that will blaze down in flaming heat. It will scorch his body, but it will be nothing compared to the pain they will feel when they are cast into Hell's fire. This is just a warning of something that is far more terrible and final. Now, we read the Bible and we understand that these plagues are God's judgment of sinners who refuse to come to Him for salvation. These plagues are designed To judge those who have defied a holy God at every turn. We read it and we understand the source. We also understand the solution. What strikes me as amazing is the fact that these people understand what is happening too. They understand that God is behind these plagues. But instead of repenting in the face of His wrath, they stand in continued defiance to Him and His will. The Bible tells us in verse 9 that they blaspheme the name of God. That word means to revile, to speak evil of. They shake their puny little fists towards God and revile His holy name. They have the audacity to blame Him for their troubles and suffering. Of course, that has been the human way since the dawn of time. Even in Eden, Adam and Eve sought to blame their problems on others. In Genesis 3 verses 11 13, and he said, "Who told thee that thou wast naked?" God, God asking Adam and Eve, "Who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat?" The man said, "The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat." And the Lord God said unto the woman, "What is that thou this, What is this that thou hast done?" And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me." And I did each. They blame somebody else. Blame, blame, blame. The blame game. That trend continues today. Grown men and women are running around blaming their parents for the problems they have in life. If they are angry, if they are substance abusers, if they have other problems in their adult lives, they lay the blame at their parents' feet. Homosexuals blame God for their perversion. They claim God made them the way they are. How foolish is that? Homosexuals are not born homosexuals. That's a lifestyle, and that lifestyle is a choice, and we can say that about any of those LGBTQ things. Uh, Those are choices. Now we're into gentle neutrality and, and all these things. Those things are a choice. God made man, and God made woman, and nobody else, no other lifestyle. God made man, and God made woman. Husbands blame their wives. Wives blame their husbands. And everybody blames everybody else for their problems. Even under judgment, men will blame God for what they are suffering. But the problem is not with God. The problem is clearly in verse 9, And they repented not to give Him glory. They refused to repent of their sins and to to give glory to God. And they are paying a heavy price for their choice. They have no one to blame but themselves. If you fool around and die and go to hell, you will have no one to blame but yourself. You could stop anywhere and call on the name of God and trust Him for salvation, if you would be willing to. But if you don't, you're going to have nothing but judgment to look forward to. My friends, the time for repentance is now. If you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus right now. Don't wait. The devil says, oh, you need to get saved, but do it tomorrow. Oh, you need to get saved, but wait for tonight. Oh, oh, oh. But, my friends, you do need to be saved today. If you carry a burden for those who are headed to this horrible time called the tribulation, the time to pray for them, the time to tell them is now. You've got family. You've got friends. You need to to tell them about this. If you are saved and want to praise Him for delivering your soul from death, hell, and judgment, today would be a good time to do just that. Praise Him for what He's given you. He's given you eternal life. Listen to His voice and come as He calls. Don't ignore that call. Keep looking up and listening for the shout.
0: J. Michael Edwards back with you. What a sobering lesson! The world and religion will tell you that these events are not real, but allegorical. This is a message from the devil himself. You see, he wants all people to share in the misery that he knows is coming for him and his ungodly spirits. As Pastor Don said, any person ending up in hell is there by their own volition. In our next lesson, We will learn of the conclusion to the plagues in a lesson entitled Final Judgment Concludes in which we will learn of all the final plagues in the Battle of Armageddon. Until then, keep looking up and listening for the shout.